we're a mobile ICU. Not only do I have a med bag, I can mix my own drips. There's everything from intubation supplies, chest tube supplies, umbilical lines I can do. So we have all of those supplies. A code in a hospital stinks. They are stressful, but you have usually multiple doctors. You have multiple nurses, you have multiple respiratory therapists. Hospital, sucks to do that. Back of an ambulance, really sucks to do that. In the air, ugh, beyond. Hey guys. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of The Selfie Show. Where we are bringing you the weekly dose of sweet and salty. I am Tori, the founder and now co-host of The Selfie Show. I am a nurse, blogger, and podcaster. And sitting across from me is my very salty co-host. And I am Sam. I am a flight nurse, college professor, podcaster, powerlifter, and co-host of The Selfie Show. And today we are talking off the clock about... Flight, Flight nursing. nursing! Woo woo! Getting so many questions about this lately that we just needed to do an episode on it. Yeah, we did. We actually, so seventh episode, we did do one with Sam, but actually it's interesting because this is going to be a very updated version, which I think is, you, you've you had, so, we have had so many people asking us questions about this. I feel like a lot of people oh, are like, what the hell do you actually do at work because I don't talk about it a lot. I don't post about it much on social media. Right. I really can't post while I'm at work just because of the nature of my work. But I can but do it's a very interesting. It. It's very interesting what you do. You know, there's not a lot of resources out there, anyways. And no, it's a very small. It's a niche. Yeah, very niche. small one. Yeah, and it's interesting, right? Like, how do you get into it? How did you? And like, what's it like? And we're gonna go into a lot of awesome juicy details today. So, uh, what's your tip of the week, Miss Samantha? This is the universe telling you that if you were ever wondering if you should get dog insurance or pet insurance, you should. <laughs> yes, you should. The answer is yes. I Rambo the- and Moses <laughs> have been stealing you of your entire like. I was going to buy funds. a new car in January for my birthday. Yeah, my new car has gone to vet bills. Yeah. Like all the money that I was going to spend on down payment on a new car has literally gone to Moses getting a surgery, Rambo having this recurrent infect. It's just been nonstop ultrasounds, tests, CT. They would be cheaper if they were my human children because they would be on my health care insurance, which has like a cap of like a deductible max, like yeah. cap of like 2K or something like that. No, I've already, I'm like seven, eight grand deep on these dogs. I love it. I know we don't. <laughs> we don't love this for we you. We do not love this for me. <laughs> my dumbass canceled my pet insurance like a couple years ago because I was like, I'm not using it. This is like, yeah, yeah, yeah. no. Well, it's funny because I feel like when one of them, like when something goes wrong with Moses, Rambo's fine. And when Rambo's fine, mm-hmm. Moses is something's, he's peeing blood. The other one can't walk. She's sending me videos, uh-huh. you guys, at like 12 o'clock at night. Like, what do I do? And I'm texting my vet to see uh-huh. if I know the answer to this. Like, it's so funny. Yes. Um, long story short, I 100% agree with Sam's tip this week. Get your dogs. Just get, get, that, get pet, the pet your insurance. Pet insured because now Moses like won't be covered for anything to do with liver problems or bladder stones because I've already, Great. it's a pre-existing. So Fabulous. Just get it. Save yourself the heartache we that I have dogs. experienced and the, the money just. Well, because it's, now. okay, here's the thing though with pets. Something's bound to happen. Yes. It's like at it's some not point. not if, it's when. It's not if, it's when. Also, I've had so many people be like, I can't believe you spent that much money on your surgery for my dog. I would just put them down. Mm. Sir, that is my child. <laughs> I'm not going to put down my child. Sir. Like, Sir. 
un- maybe unpopular opinion. I don't think you should have pets if you can't afford their vet bills. Mm. No one's forcing you to get a pet. Yeah, there's that. It's not a mandatory requirement for you to have a pet. But if you're taking on a pet, to me, it's with the assumption that I'm going to love and care for this pet. And some people are like, pets aren't children. Yes, I get that. I know I don't have human children. Like, I get it. I get it. They're not children. But again, I feel like if you're taking them on, it's your responsibility. So I've had so many people be like, I would never pay that much for my dog. I'm like, Mm. to each his own. Totally. But I will. Yeah. I will go to the ends of the earth. Yeah. I will start my OnlyFans if I have to. No, I won't. But we're pretty I'm, close. We're pretty close. We got <laughs> close there for a second with these vet bills. I'm just saying, like, yes, get pet insurance. Don't make my mistake. You're uh, welcome. I like that. Okay, well, mine this week, you guys, is, and I think probably many of you have already heard about this. This is like not new, new news, but I'm literally obsessed with this Netflix show, The Serpent. I've never even heard of it. Oh, my God. I'm so obsessed. It's been, like, top charting for, like, 10 weeks in a row. But it's basically about – it's set in the 1970s in Southeast Asia along the Hippie Trail. And this is all based on true events or true stories. His name is Charles. He's a French man who posed as a gem dealer and carried out a spree of crimes targeting mainly backpackers and murdering them go hiking totally there you go and like literally and and he would eventually murder them for their money and their passports and he had an accomplice with his girlfriend marie who was a french woman and then there's the diplomats the dutch embassy who are involved like it's this crazy fun amazing show it's so good it's intense i love the way it's filmed it's just so intriguing i also happen to love like murder murder mysteries and like just that whole I just I'm obsessed it's sort of like mobster meets like blue collar white collar mobster I don't know in the 1970s it's just so fabulous I love it it's why great. do girls love murder so much I don't know like, it's why so do we good love murder? <laughs> so I'm fascinated and like he, I love murder shows in real life I actually don't think Charles was like very handsome but the, it care, the guy who plays him is pretty hot Dude, you have the weirdest taste ever, Tori. I know. I don't know what it you is. You are always, like, attracted to people that I'm like, <laughs> with the exception of your husband, because if if you ever die, I'm just going to marry Jacob. I know. You know how, you like, people back in the day, like, if they it. went to war yeah. and their, like, husband died in war and their best friend comes home from war. Pearl and they, like, Harbor much? Them? Yeah. <laughs> so I'm just saying, if anything happens to you, I'm going to call dibs on Jacob. Call dibs. Yeah. Call dibs. I don't blame you. I totally, you know what? But other I, than that, I, your needs... taste is whack sometimes. I don't know. He's just <laughs> got this like appeal, this like really. He's a charmer. Maybe. But I don't really like charmers, but this one I'm like, mm, okay. But he's like, it's authentic though. It doesn't feel like sleazy. Right. Like it's like genuine. Yeah. Which is why I like it. But mm-hmm. sometimes mm-hmm. you are attracted to people and I'm like. Yeah, oh, you're like, what? Why? I know. It. I have an interesting taste. You never know. Hmm. Hey, different strokes for different Totally. Folks. Totally. I love that. Okay. So unpopular opinion of the week. Okay. Hear me out. Here we go. A little chemical never hurt anybody. <laughs> I know like, okay, Tori's way more of a, okay. The now how did day, this start? How did this start? This started because we had to do a photo shoot. Yeah. And I think I forgot to put on deodorant. Yeah, and you asked me. And I asked you for some deodorant that morning. And she brings out this all-natural bullshit. And I'm like, do you have any, like, normal deodorant? The one that everybody's using. Native. 
Native is the deodorant that everybody is using. And so I hand her the native stick and she looks at me and she's like, what is this natural bullshit? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, I'm sorry. Give me like the Dove ultra clean scented whatever like I want to rub those chemicals on my pits so that they (laughs) stay fresh and that they don't sweat yeah well okay and here's another thing that I kind of agree with you here on right like Jacob is a six foot two six foot three burly ass man he drank all of the GMO milk infused steroid you know ate his Wheaties and the milk with it so I'm like you know, we were all drinking a little steroids and uh, all those GMOs growing up. So here we go. Also unpopular opinion. Um, organic is a lie. It's a sham. <laughs> oh, okay, yeah, here's what yeah, I know yeah. from like my dad being a farmer. Organic does not mean they don't use pesticides. So if you think that you're spending extra money sometimes on organic, it's all a lie and it's all a sham. Yes. Check the labels. There are different government regulations on how they can classify organic. Like 100% organic versus organic is a different thing. But you see organic on the label, you buy it. Organic just means you can't use these certain pesticides. It doesn't yeah, mean you can't use all of them. them. Yeah. So there's all these secretive label workarounds and stuff of what even classifying. People are like robbing you of your hard-earned money thinking you're buying organic when it just means... Well, no, I will say this. Okay, it is harder to be true organic because we actually had to switch over our It is really lead. hard. It's really hard to be a true organic farm. Like there's so many regulations on it, which makes it more expensive and blah, blah, blah. But yes, Sam is right. We There's definitely a lot of things that people don't really understand about true organic. Um, we do still have to use pesticides. Why? Because there's bugs and there's so many things that go on with when you're, when you're farming and when you're especially farming in close quarters with other mm-hmm. strains of plants and they're affected by certain bugs. Like it, like we would have no crops, essentially. Like yeah. it's a trickle down effect. There's a lot of things that people don't realize. Water supply goes into mm-hmm. this. Like there's so many things. So it's a do your research thing. It's a do your research. Because it's, I'm saying it Maybe more Maybe we should just... bring Vincent on because he could totally oh, explain boy. all yeah, of it. Yeah, we should. A little agriculture. Yeah, we could do an Ag 101. But I think that people take advantage of the general public by upcharging things that they have no business upcharging. Yeah. So just don't. Well, and that doesn't come from the farmer, by the way, that comes from the distributor Mm -hmm. that comes from the person who does all the wholesaling. So it's a big thing, you guys. There's a a lot that goes into farming. We're passionate about it as farmers. Farmers are the last ones to get paid. Farmers are the first one to be told what to do. So love your farmer. (laughs) And also I'll just say my grandpa lived to be 88 and he used to be around the heavy duty pesticides. I'm talking like the ones that cause you to have like a third leg and be a cyclops <laughs> with one eyeball and shit. Like and a little chemical never a hurt. A little anybody. chemical never hurt. And honestly, I'm not even gonna lie too. If I get strawberries straight from the farm, I don't wash them. Yeah, you don't need to. Not. not I mean, I like little I, dirt on it. Little dirt don't hurt. Little dirt don't hurt. God made dirt and it don't <laughs> hurt. And if I die, then you'll know why. I have so many people be like, "Oh my God, you're not gonna wash your fruit." I'm like, "Bro, my dad's a farmer. Like, I, I don't wash my fruit. I know. So sue me. I know. I'm no one doing else all right. touched it. The world, the earth touched it. <laughs> but I, I'm like the biggest hypocrite because I am like a produce snob. I. I really like all natural stuff and I'm really like I won't take birth control. I don't want to put hormones in my body. I'm super big on all natural, clean, blah, blah, blah. But then I'm such a hypocrite because I'm like, no, I want whatever deodorant is going to have all the chemicals. (laughs) I know. (laughs) He's like, don't make sense. It's like taking my – I want to take my vitamins every day, be as healthy as I can, have my salt rock, and then also have my champagne, okay? And then drink White Claw, which literally is chemicals – yeah, what's wrong with that? Like, if you look at the White Claw label, it's alcohol. Someone's like, what kind of alcohol is in White Claw? I'm like, I don't know. It just says alcohol. 
I don't know what kind. The label literally says alcohol. I love it. So I'm a hypocrite, but at least I'm a self-aware one. Uh, you know what? Self-awareness, right? Oh. This is like all about self Oh my God, we should make a shirt that says self-aware hypocrite. Because Self- <laughs> that's literally me. I am the most self-aware. Emotional hypocrite. intelligence and self-awareness. I think if you have those things and you just w- realize how ridiculous you are, it's fine. Yeah. Like Tori I'll say is it. a juju. Yeah. Uh, I love my woo-woo juju. woo-woo hippie. Yeah. But and you're just absolutely crazy, just, you know, <laughs> like peeing on everything when you're weightlifting. And I'm unwell. You're, we're both unwell. We got our things. But I'm able to hold down this career. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> so let's talk about let's that. Let's get into it. Guest of the week is me, baby. Yeah, baby. Okay, so obviously you've you dipped into this. You've been, you started as NICU. And for those of you who don't know, there is the first episode you can go back to. But episode seven. This one, we're going to do a lot more focused on, you know, what you have how the past two years two years have gone because there's a lot that has happened the past two years and I think it's really interesting we got a lot of really great questions from you guys so we're just going to kind of like pop into it so first things first because we know everyone's going to ask this how do you become a flight nurse oh boy I get asked that the most so experience you have no business being a flight nurse if you can't take care of the sickest patient on your floor you have no business because you're gonna have no help I, I lie. You're going to have minimal help. Are most flight nurses or people on emergency flight teams, do they come from ICU? So there are a couple different pathways, and I think it depends what you want to do. I specifically do hospital to hospital transfers. So I do all their critical care ICU transfers. So I do neonatal ICU transfer. I do cardiovascular ICU. I do pediatric ICU. And I do trauma from ED from another hospital's trauma patients that don't have pediatric services. Maybe they have a trauma, but they don't have pediatric surgeons. So they're a level one trauma, but a ped patient comes in. So we will take their trauma to our ER to do trauma. And then I do kind of just general like med surge peds calls. If Even if you're wanting to do adult world hospital transfers where it is hospital to hospital, yes, you need ICU critical care background because you're going to be taking their ICU patients. You're going to be going to smaller little hospitals that don't have really high level ICUs and maybe you're taking them back to your hospital who has a burn ICU who has these specialized a neuro ICU so they maybe have a small little ICU that's a general one but you're taking them back to your hospital's bigger specialty ICU so that's where you definitely need critical care experience if you want to do scene calls because there are some flight nurses that work for actual just flight companies they work for mercy they work for um oh yeah amr air or whatever yeah uh, like the actual company that yes so they are doing scene calls they are the ones that are getting flown out to the middle of an accident in a remote highway like you know the drive from southern california to like mammoth is one of the deadliest highways in the country because yes, it's that like drive you, it. you just were in mammoth right yeah. now mm-hmm. and it you is. see that like one way where it's one it's r- way on each one and people always want to do the go around each mm-hmm. other so i've actually talked to some of my pilots and they're like yeah i've done so many scene calls to on that route that's one of the deadliest routes are those nurses also icu so that's where having trauma er experience would come because let's see the difference between an er nurse and an icu nurse that's tale as old as time right how often do they argue? How many memes, how many <laughs> TikTok memes. pages have been started just to make fun of the difference between ER and ICU? I would say as someone who's ICU background, we're thinking big picture. We're thinking what's going to happen next. If I do X, Y, and Z, it's going to cause 
this problem to happen and then I'm going to have to fix this problem. You know, I see you as a never-ending merry-go-round of if you give a mouse a cookie. I give this, if I give Lasix, it's going to cause this to the kidneys. If I do this to the kidneys, it's going to cause this to the heart, blah, 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 blah. You start to chase your tail. It's this never-ending cycle. Trauma and emergency care is I need to keep you alive. I need, you're, you're dying on me. How do I stabilize you? How do I get you to a level of health and even, how do I get you stabilized enough to even go to the ICU, right? You can't go to the ICU if you don't make it through the ER door. So it's a different experience. And doing scene calls, you need to be able to, what we do call grab and go, because time is of the essence. You need to get them back to the hospital to get that specialized service, whether it's surgery. A lot of times it is surgery Surgery, and stuff like that. So you need to get them there and keep them alive as fast as possible. Whereas if I'm picking up an ER, picking up sometimes even from an ICU to bring them to a higher level ICU, we're looking at you're stable to a certain extent. You've been somewhat stabilized. So I'm starting to think more ICU minded, like I'm a mobile ICU. I'm treating my ambulance or my helicopter as a mobile ICU and we're kind of working as an ICU nurse where if you're doing scene calls, you are first on the scene. You're a paramedic and some of those teams have paramedic nurse combos. So you're first on the scene. You're trying to establish a line. You're trying to establish an airway. All those things where having trauma and ER skills really come in handy. So either way, if you want to get into flight nursing, you need to have ER experience doesn't cut it because if you work in a smaller ER that no offense to smaller ERs, but it's more kind of like a higher level urgent care and sometimes you're getting codes and sometimes you're getting like traumas that walk in but then you're, you know, sending them all out to the bigger hospitals, that's probably not going to give you the comfort level. You need to be in one of those ERs that's like the Thunderdome. <laughs> like, so you need yeah. you need a trauma, high-level one ER experience, and then you need critical care experience. And I'm saying, like, high-level critical care. Because no offense, but not all ICUs are created equal. Give us, like, a picture of what a day-to-day looks like for you. Ooh, okay, so for me specifically, one, I'm working both day shift and night shift yeah, right now. Nuts. So it's a little bit... Ma- mayhem but here's the thing about it you never know what you're walking into right because you know if you're working bedside you're going to come in you're going to get report on your two patients or your four patients or your one patient or whatever and then you're going to have morning meds and morning assessment and then you're going to check orders and you're usually going to have rounds with doctors and then you're going to have like your day is predictable in the sense where you know in those 12 hours there's certain things you have to get done and you get thrown curveballs if a patient declines in status or goes to surgery or whatever. Like curveballs come throughout your day. But I walk in and sometimes I have no calls waiting and I can set my stuff down and I can go to the bathroom and I can eat and whatever. And sometimes I walk in and they are handing me a paper. Someone else already took report for me and they're like, this patient is waiting for you at this hospital. Go. And it's an ICU patient. Like the doctor's going with you. They're sick, sick. Your meds are already waiting in pharmacy. Go. So um, that is the one thing I do love about being a flight nurse is it's never boring because you don't know what you're walking into. But I would say, let's say a typical shift that's not starting where you hit the ground running, because to be honest, those shifts kind of I don't like to walk in and be just slammed from the start. I like to hopefully get a second to kind of catch my bearings. So normally walk in, we always kind of do a change off with the oncoming shift of, hey, these are pending calls. These are things tomorrow. Here's any equipment issues, yada, yada, yada. Um, So we do our own little like debrief type of shift change over. And then within the first like 45 minutes, then we have to have a pilot debriefing. Every shift we meet with the pilot, he has to tell us no smoking on the aircraft. 
these are the exit signs. These are the fire extinguishers. In case of an emergency, we need to wear life vest over water. Like they have a whole brief that they have to go over with us every single time shift because we're going to potentially fly every shift. Um, so we do the debrief with the pilot, go over even weather conditions. Is there a marine layer coming? Is it freezing? Is it raining? Is Are we going to have to fly IFR? So IFR stands for um, instrument flight rules. That's when we fly by instrumentation only. So they have no visualization. It's scary because you look out the window and you just see white clouds. You don't see anything. Um, so we kind of go over all the complications of whether we can fly. Sometimes it might be, hey, we can fly here, but we can't fly over the desert. And then we check equipment. And when I say we check equipment, we check everything because uh, you don't, you can't just always trust that, yeah. you know, it's all going to be there. Mm-hmm. You never want to get on scene. You go in your supply bag and you're out of tubing. Or you don't have the IV supplies you need. I just had that a week ago. I went to a delivery and um, we didn't have time to check the bag and I was missing leads. It's whenever you don't check is when it's missing. Always. So it's it's a requirement that we check all our equipment. Um, And we have a lot of equipment because, again, we're a mobile ICU. So not only do I have a med bag that has my meds that I check out that has all of literally anything I could maybe need to give. I'm like a mobile pharmacy almost. Um, I can mix my own drips. I, I don't want to, but I can. Um, but there's everything from intubation supplies, chest tube supplies. I can do like a needle thoracentesis. Like if I need to ne- do needle comp- decompression on a chest, umbilical lines I can do. So we have all of those supplies. So we have to make sure that they're all there. And then we actually audit the bags once a month to go through and we throw away any expired items. So there's a lot that comes to it. And then we have to go check like the helicopter, make sure all the supplies are in the helicopter, make sure all the supplies are in our actual gurneys, check the like Zoll defibrillators, do the like everything, check our oxygen tanks and our air tanks, write down the levels. So there's a whole thing. And then it is a lot of sitting in the office and it's crazy. Sometimes during flu season, we don't ever really even get a break. It's back to back to back calls. We go out on a call. Before we even back from the call, we have our phone blowing up saying there's three more calls waiting for you. So we know the second we get back, it's take report and back out the door. Um, Other times we have downtime in between, which is great, but we are a very active little team. Everyone on our team does like clinical ladder. Everyone's certified. We all have projects. So uh, to be on the team, you have to have a project on our team. So we're always like working on education and blah, blah, blah. So The downtime isn't very much like to yourself downtime. There's like literally always something we're working on. Um, But that's kind of a typical shift. What are your certifications to work on? So mine, I came into it with my RNC NIC, so my NICU certification. Some of the other people have their CCRN for pediatrics that came from like the PICU world. I also think I almost everyone on our team now has CNPT which is certified neonatal peds transport so I have that one I think most people on my team do a lot of other people like I mentioned have CCRN and then some people have like emergency transport we all have the TNCC which is trauma nurse certification so TNCC uh, and then because I'm at a pediatric hospital I have to have NRP PLS. P- well, every, yeah, PALS. BLS, I have to have PALS, mm-hmm. and I have to have ACLS because we do take adult patients. Mm-hmm. We take up to like our early 20s sometimes. So I have to have all of those. As far as training, oh. yeah. What was the training like for you when you were first coming on board? Well, first, so I came from NICU background. 
So it's kind of the same. If you came from P- Peds ICU background, they needed to cross train to NICU. I came from NICU, so I needed to cross train to Peds ICU. That was first and foremost. And then honestly, it was more paperwork than anything and equipment. Because I know how to be a nurse, right? I know how to start an IV. I know how to hang meds. I know how to do the nursing tasks. Like that's not a problem for me. For me, it was more how do I use this new equipment that I'm not used to? Yeah. How do I? And then the charting because it's back to paper charting for Mm. us on the air. So it was equipment and then just getting your flow down comfort wise of being out there and having to make decisions on your own. Like I used to ask my partner a lot, like, what would you do? What would you do? Now I feel a lot more comfortable in that role of just like, all right, this is how we're going to run things. But it was just getting comfortable with being uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah, I would imagine. As far as like, let's talk the fun part of getting active and flying and driving or sitting in the passenger seat. So I'm like really curious about motion sickness. Like, is that a thing? Okay. I have some people I work with that have to take something like Zofran or something every single time they fly. I personally don't think I would do this job if I got motion sickness like that because that sounds miserable. I've gotten motion sickness once when there was heavy turbulence in the helicopter and I think I also hadn't really ate so I just kind of like felt nauseous and it was like hot and I was like okay I'm like gonna I feel like I'm gonna throw up. But other than that I'm lucky where I'm not one to get motion sickness but if you're one of those people that you know you go on a boat and you get motion sickness easily or something probably not the job for you. Actually, the ambulance sometimes is way more motion sickness even than the helicopter. Yeah, I can see that. Sitting backwards in a car never worked. And then well charting. Yeah. I'm having to chart while I'm flying and chart while I'm in the back of an ambulance. So trying to – if you're someone who can't read and write while you're in a moving vehicle, usually sitting in the wrong direction, it's also probably not, <laughs> not the role for you. That sounds like fun. Yeah, I love that. Brad. What is the – I mean, as far as like physical training, because what you do is, is a very – partly physical job what's the physical training and and the you know like the the requirements I guess so I think there's like the typical HR requirements where you must be able to push and pull this much weight and blah 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 but honestly we have to be able to load the gurney into the helicopter so we do practice like on empty gurneys especially like sometimes when we got a new helicopter we get new gurneys and stuff but so our gurney will have a patient on it it'll sometimes have a ventilator sometimes it'll have the body cooling machine It'll have all this, like our IV pumps, all this extra equipment and stuff. And we have to be able to load that. And sometimes Pete's patients are, you know, I picked up a pediatric patient that was 400 pounds. Yeah, it's crazy. So, um, yeah, and we do have to be able to it's load the gurneys the into the uh, ambulance. I do, our EMTs help us when it's with the ambulance and our pilots will help us when it's with the helicopter, but the pilots are under no obligation to, they just are nice. But they don't have to because they're not technically like medically part of the like medical care team. Is there, did you mention the weight restriction? So that is something to consider when flying. I can tell you from me being someone who's like formerly, when I say overweight, I wasn't just overweight, like formerly like obese, that I wouldn't have been able to do this job. <laughs> we do have to weigh in quarterly. And it's not like, I don't know what the weight limit is because I don't think that they've ever like said because no one on our team is like in this danger zone of not like being it. I'm assuming there is at some point because it is a balance. Like sometimes if we have two maybe larger people on the team and then a larger patient and we're bringing a doctor and all that, we might not be able to support the weight of a parent. So our 
basically we have to keep a weight roster where we update and someone has to verify. So we have to weigh in wearing our flight suit, wearing our helmet, wearing our boots, carrying our clipboard, any equipment that we usually do. And we have to have that documented quarterly. And that's because every time we fly, the pilot will pull, okay, you're this, everyone that's going on the flight's weight. And then we usually get the weight of the patient from the referring. And then we can kind of know any other extra equipment and they're able to kind of do the math and say, yeah, we can bring a parent. No, we can't bring a parent on this flight. Or we might have trouble like, I don't know, this flight's not going to, based on how the distance we're going. There's all these like wild flight mechanics that the pilots are responsible for. But I kind of trust them to tell us like, if they say that a flight weight is going to be too much, I'm not going on that flight. (laughs) How do you, as far as flying, right, specifically flying and or even ambulance, I guess, when shit hits the fan, like you're in you're in the situation oh, where <laughs> where the patient is crashing, things are not going well. You are most likely by yourself, occasionally have a doctor. Like, what is that like? Yeah. So first, let me kind of break down what the structure is of how flight teams work. So my team specifically is one nurse, one respiratory therapist, and we bring doctors on our critical calls, not all, even all our ACLS calls, like a stable pediatric ICU calls, they can be intubated on a ventilator and we don't bring a doctor with us. We only bring them on the unstable calls where it's like we're maybe coding or we're very, very unstable. So that's how our team works. A lot of other teams are sometimes nurse-nurse teams or nurse-paramedic teams. Um, Some teams have doctors with them. Some teams don't. So every team is kind of structured differently around the country. It's very regional, hospital specific. But my team specifically is run that way. So, oh, God, it's my worst nightmare. So a code in a hospital stinks, right? You've been in many. They are stressful, but you have usually multiple doctors. You have multiple nurses. You have multiple respiratory therapists. You have people running around, just being runners for supplies, people recording for you, blah, blah, blah. So then we have the level of, okay, if I'm going on an unstable kid and it's in an ambulance call because maybe it's a very short distance where flying doesn't make sense because we live in a heavily populated area. So there's hospitals. There's so many in this region. So at least when I go on those calls, we have an EMT with us. So they're able to record and keep track of things that are going around. I mean, I've had to have EMTs pull over on the side of the road, and we've had to intubate in the back of an ambulance on the side of a road. Um, That is worst case scenario. That is not ideal. That made me sick to my stomach. Yeah, you're like sweating. and Then the idea – so that's like the levels to it. It's like hospital, sucks to do that. Back of an ambulance, really sucks to do that. In the air – Oh, beyond beyond so the thing is is if we are going to the point where things are getting critical where we're like think we're gonna code or things are deteriorating that bad we will reroute um a flight so we will go to the nearest er and we will call it even with an ambulance we will reroute if we are on the way back from somewhere far maybe we couldn't fly that day because there was heavy rain and conditions weren't eligible to fly or whatever then we will reroute to the nearest emergency room so at least we have extra resources extra support and stuff but our respiratory therapists can intubate we are literally in ICU so we can do anything even without a doctor like our scope of practice is an advanced scope but obviously doing that in the air doing that in the back of ambulance isn't ideal so I if things do happen up in the air 
we will reroute to the nearest like if we're coding yeah, that's our protocol yeah. it's things happen and usually we try to not leave until we're at a point of stability where we think that we can safely get there without anything majorly happening but sometimes even with ambulance we'll have to go what is called code three and that's when they throw the lights on and come in like hot hot and we have to have a really good justification for why we go code three because that's dangerous for everyone on the road it's dangerous for you guys in the back of the ambulance it's dangerous for the people on the road to be like ripping through the streets that way so ugh, it happens let's talk like weather i guess is where my head's going like at what point do you say we're not flying it's not safe or like how do you i mean because the first time we actually did our our interview you were on your way and this is when kobe's accident had happened and literally we were literally that day. we were literally talking about it and it happened that day and it's scary to me because that's i mean that's a huge part of your job is those are the kind of decisions you you and your pilot and your team have to make like how do you guys make those decisions that was honestly traumatic i got here that morning to record and we were like sitting there and silencing each other like Kobe got in a helicopter crash and now I'm here to record my episode on flight nursing with you and that shook me so here's the thing any one of us on the team at any time can decline a flight for safety reasons and it should be no questions asked we've had pushback sometimes sometimes doctors will push back and be like no we really want you to fly this kid or this baby's really sick and we're like I understand that you really want us to fly but I want to make it home and our pilot is saying whether this or wait this and these are the reasons that we shouldn't be flying. I'm going to trust that my pilot has a family, has kids. They want to come home at night. And if they want to live, I want to live. So if a pilot is telling me with weather it can't be done, it can't be done. If the pilot's saying with weight it can't be done, sometimes even though if the pilot does say like, yeah, I can do it, if you still feel like something is off about it and you don't feel comfortable flying Anyone in the crew or anyone on the team can make that judgment call to say, I don't want to fly. I'm going to drive instead. I don't feel comfortable. So if one person mm -hmm. feels that One way. person can call the whole thing off. Obviously, we want to fly. It's faster. It's efficient. What was it like the first time you flew? I was such a nerd. I mean, it was cool because I think the first time I flew, <laughs> we flew to a hospital that didn't have a helipad. Oh. But it was rush hour traffic because I was training on day shift. So it was like Southern California, rush hour traffic. You know what a nightmare that is. Mm -hmm. It would have taken us so long to get there. It was a critical ICU patient and they didn't have a helipad. So we had the fire station shut down the football field across the street from the hospital. What? It was so rad. I was okay, like, Okay, so how often does that kind of stuff happen? That's the first and last time it's happened for me since I've been on the team. So it was like such an unusual case and time to fly. And it was my first flight ever. So I was like nerding out because it was like they had all the ambulance trucks out. They had this whole football field shut down. All these people are watching us land and get out like looking like these badasses <laughs> in our flight suits. That's like really cool. med bag, like going to save the day across the street. I felt like really cool. I'm not even going to lie. What are the best best places you've flown to or like the best scenery? Honestly, you've had? flying through downtown L.A. is rad because the lights and the buildings and you fly over the Staples Center and stuff like I love flying through downtown L.A the skyline is super cool but I think hi living in Southern California it's so cool I mean we fly yeah. to Catalina we fly up and down the coast between San Diego all the way up past LA so all those coastal views are always super gorgeous and then we fly in the Inland Empire like over the desert and stuff so yeah. like flying over Palm Springs looks really cool Number one question that we get, how do you land your dream job? Well, first things first, you guys, dial in that resume. 
Are you ready for an easy to fill in the blank solution for your resume and cover letter that will help you actually stand out in your job search? A resume is a chance for you to show off and we wanna make sure you look good. Yes, and we don't have time to fiddle around with writing resumes and cover letters when there are exams to be taken, lives to be saved, money to be made, am I right? Girl, you are right. Mm. So you guys head over to spruce up your resume today. Head over to theresumerx.com forward slash shop and use code selfie for 20% off your templates and courses as well. Head over to theresumerx.com forward slash shop. Use code selfie for 20% off your order. All right, you guys, let's hop back into the show. What do you think are like the top best qualities that an emergency transport person should have or focus on? Confidence, but not cocky. So you need to be confident enough in your ability that you are going to be put in a situation sometimes with minimal help, and you're going to have to make a lot of critical decisions. You're going to have to think fast and that you're going to have to trust your judgment. So you need to be confident in your skills and ability. Like, I know what I'm doing. This is the right call. But you need to not be too cocky that you know when to ask for help. You know when to get on the phone and call back the doctor. You need to know to trust your teammate and know that you're a team and look at your teammate and say, hey, what do you think about this? Like, Mm. I kind of want to do this. Like, how do you feel? Get their feedback. Sometimes I even call back the team at the office and be like, hey, we're on this call. This is what's going on. What do you think? And I'll call back and get their advice or their opinions. So no, be confident, but no, not cocky. Know when you need assistance. What are some roadblocks that you hit while transitioning into this role or maybe even in the role that you've overcome and how did you overcome them? Letting go of the ICU mindset. You're an ICU nurse. So hard. You know that we're anal retentive nuts. Honestly, sometimes I low-key hate dropping off patients to you guys because I'm like, you guys are batshit crazy. I know. And I get like (laughs) so annoyed. I'm like, I don't care. Like my job is couldn't the same care as your less. Job. <laughs> yeah. So when you're asking me shit, like, did they have Hep B done? I don't know. Look in the chart. I don't give a shit if they had Hep B done. Guess what? My blood pressure is though. You're welcome. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like they're alive. They're here. You're welcome. Our goals, like, alive and warm. So do you see yourself? Okay, this is gonna be weird. You're more ED than ICU. In the sense of... No, I'm still way more ICU, though. Like, when I call and get report on the patients from the ER nurses, I want to sometimes bash my head against the uh, wall. So it's like, a middle... You're a middle ground between the two... I've learned to two. give up the things that don't matter right. about ICU, but I sometimes still want a little more out of the ER. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When I'm, like, asking them questions, they're like, I don't know. I'm like... Well, you don't know if they're like pupils are reactive like can you just check maybe? you're like the middle child I'm the middle I I'm the yeah. middle child but I used to be like an anal retentive NICU nurse right so now I've learned to like let go as much as I want my lines organized and I really do you don't have time I sometimes. don't fucking yeah. have time yeah. Yeah, yeah, to yeah. do that and la- mm-hmm. like label them all pretty and blah 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 mm-hmm. like sometimes you gotta just figure out what you prioritize and you have to learn to let some of your little like idiosyncrasies go and think a little more what is my focused goal here it's a fine line what's a common myth you want to bust about emergency flight nursing or emergency nursing I think sometimes think that we sit around and like are chilling all day <laughs> we're not like when we're when we don't have calls and we're not slow cool but when we're busy we are busy when we're bringing in a critically ill patient like we are working our ass off to get them back in here 
and like what we had to do at the other hospital to sometimes even stabilize them to get them safe for transport to get them here. I think another myth is that we think we're like the best. I mean, low key. Five stars all around. Honestly, I'm just saying we are the only people in the hospital that can take care of every type of patient. <laughs> Pick you, yes, they can, but they don't do micropremies. Yeah. And NICU definitely does not do big people, cardiac or CVICU wants to specifically do heart. So I'm just kind of yeah. saying. Med surge can't yeah. do ICU. Yeah. We're pretty cool. Yeah. But no, Jack I Walters. think that we're all very reasonable people. I think we do get like a reputation sometimes of being like transport being a certain way. But we just want to bring you guys healthy, healthy patients. Yeah. What do you think is a reasonable amount of time to obtain experience you need minimum five years okay minimum okay minimum yeah so i know like my job won't even look at your resume unless you have five years other places i think that's pretty much standard and like i said five years doesn't mean anything if you go to five years in your icu and you want the most stable patients every time five years but you should be doing relief charge yeah. Like you should be in those leadership roles. You should be a unit resource and you should be someone that can take the sickest patient on the unit and feel comfortable. Not saying it's going to be easy because even in the NICU, sometimes I'd walk in and get the sickest patient and be like, oh God, God, just yeah. someone help me. Yeah, totally. But you should be comfortable in taking on the sickest patient and knowing like I'm going to do right by them for this shit. So let's say you're talking to Emily. She's four years into her career and she really wants to maybe take on an emergency transport position, what tangible tips do you have for her in preparing for something like this? Network, because no one's just going to give you that job. I think I've told the story a couple times on this podcast, so I'll keep it real brief. But the way I got this job was there was no position posted. It wasn't an external position. It wasn't an internal position. It didn't exist. I just decided that this was something I felt like I wanted to get in on. And so I emailed the manager directly with my resume, introduced myself, told her a little bit about myself in the email and said, I would love to come meet with you and talk about joining your team. I've attached my resume. She emailed me back. I came in. We chatted. She invited me back for an interview, offered to start training me. And there it was. And I had to sell myself. I had to go in completely humble and say, look, I have no PEDS ICU experience. I know that primarily you do a lot of PEDS ICU transports. If you're willing to train me, I'm willing to learn because I want to be on this team. Mm -hmm. I want to learn. I know you've talked a lot about that. Teach me. Yep. So same thing with networking. If you don't have any flight nurse experience and you apply to a flight nursing job, they're probably not going to look at you because there might be someone else applying that does have the experience. So it's one of those catch-22s. How do you get a job that requires experience if you have no experience? You have to network and you have to find the person that's willing to train you, that's willing to take you on. So if, say, you want to do something in that realm, start networking, Start maybe asking to cross-train to different ICUs. Maybe if you're in the ER, try to go to some ICU cross-training. If you're in the ICU, maybe say, can I do some cross-training in the ED? Make friends. If you see the people on transport, talk to them. How'd you get your job? Who's your manager? What are they looking for? Okay, and start doing those. If you can do any of those certifications, like I don't have ACLS or I don't have PALS or I don't have whatever, take TNCC, the trauma course, like pat it. But really talk to the people that are doing it, get their insight. Because I started talking to people on the transport team like, okay, well, how'd you get the job? And any good advice for hopeful transport nurses, RTs, anyone who wants to be any good tips for them into maybe starting their jobs or things that you can leave some little nuggets 
with them for? Be intentional about learning. So I think one of the biggest mistakes people like kind of even go into healthcare is they get their job and as soon as they kind of get comfortable at it, they're like, cool, I'm coasting now. I'm in the like cruise control, like life is good. I think a lot of us get into that. Yeah, and it's easy because why not? It's comfortable. But if this is something you want to do, like I said, it's a very high stress environment and you have to be on because there's no one else to pick up the slack for you. So you need to know your shit, point blank. So mm-hmm. you need to, like I said, be intentional with learning. To get certified and study for that, to take all these extra courses, or even just learn more about the patient populations that you're kind of would be working with. So whether that's even going to conferences, taking extra courses, or just asking doctors, hey, go over like vasopressors with me. Like what would you use for which type of thing? Mm-hmm. Just getting any sort of extra knowledge. If you're like seeking out information, you're going to be that much better of a practitioner or provider. Yeah, that's a really good tip, actually. I think that's really, I think that's just kind of in general, a really good way to like, don't allow yourself to get so comfortable. Mm -hmm. I love the idea of getting comfortable with being uncomfortable. Just get out of your realm, stimulate your brain. Float pool. Yeah. How uncomfortable was that? Oh my God, beyond. Learning, like, I feel like it was in some ways similar probably to what you did just because going from NICU to mm-hmm. anything else is an absolute mind-blowing thing. Like, vital signs, looking at a heart rate of 80 when you're so used to seeing 100 to 200 or your blood pressures, like, just even your sats. Like, I'm used to seeing low sats and that's not acceptable in big people. Like, there's just so many things that you you aren't used to in the NICU or maybe you are used to in the NICU that you go to other people and you're like oh yeah that's not normal in this patient population it's it's a hard I would say actually that's probably one of the biggest reasons going from NICU what was I mean maybe that's a good question too like going from NICU into this patient population or like basically going into all of the patient populations what was that like the learning curve was so real because again even vital signs I'm like I don't know what is normal Like, I know it's normal for teenagers because they're pretty much adults, and that's like nursing school 101, but what is normal for a five-year-old and an eight-year-old? Like, oh, now I do, but that was like the hardest part. And then even just talking to patients of different ages, like, I got so used to not talking to your patients working in the NICU, so that was different. And then it's so much just more stuff to know, like all the different sizes of like ET tubes. I never used anything past a three or two, a yeah. four max on like a two, giant baby. Yeah. Mm-hmm. IVs are only 24 gauges ever. Like a 22 so, is like rare unless on a big old kid with a honker AC. Yeah. So it was just that was really tough. I had a lot to learn. I had to just be an open mind. Honestly, it was like starting over as a new grad. So if you're not humble enough to check your ego and just say hey I don't know but I want to learn then don't go into a job like this because you need to ask questions and you need to know and you don't know but you need to find out so I think a lot of people sometimes struggle with that because they don't want to look stupid but it's like it's not like stupid no one expects you to know that or you wouldn't be learning well and I think unfortunately that's the kind of job that if you don't know you're going to find out in the wrong time yes you when you don't know it you're gonna find out when you're in the middle of a code when you're in the middle of a situation where you you don't have that resource and that to me is even scarier Mm -hmm. so I mean you can bluff your way through a lot but that kind of situation you can't yeah so you you physically can't 
ask all the questions. And so you have to be humble because you're going to feel dumb. So when I started off training, I felt like so stupid. I was like, are they even going to keep me? Because they probably think I'm a moron because I am asking some dumb questions but I don't come from Pete's world yeah no so that was something not I dumb to me. <laughs> I agree because I think in NICU going from NICU to anything you feel dumb like there was literally times where I was looking at the dosages of Tylenol on these it's kids wild, huh? and I'm like this is ginormous is this okay you know and, and they then laugh at you. yeah they do they're like oh yeah we give like triple that in like a 24-hour period and I'm like I had no idea you know it's just like things that you don't you let me ask you know. this do you know how to before you did critical care float pool did you know how to hang a piggyback med no same I did not absolutely okay or a did secondary them, did it in um nursing school nursing school but it's actually funny I learned so many tricks in the PICU that I actually use in the NICU now they did so much back back priming yeah, all yeah. these things that like we don't do because we don't do piggyback riders we don't we don't do, do secondary that infusions. so we don't do d- secondary infusions we don't do any of that and so half the time anyway I'm using a lot of tricks that the PICU taught me yeah. and uh, that was eight years into my career uh-huh and I just still did not know how to do any of those things so it's like most normal nurses besides NICU world all know how to give a piggyback I know and we don't in the NICU so no and then like- we go to the floors and people look like or ICUs and they look like we're stupid and we're like we literally don't know how to do these things guys we just we don't all do our them. meds are so small that they don't come up in bags they we do all come bo- in syringes. we do three ml boluses of blood yes. okay that's literally what we do <laughs> so it is very humbling to be like I don't know a lot so it's funny because you can go from being the rock star on your unit to being the one that helps everyone that takes the sickest patients you're just boom and then you're starting you're starting over you are like a new grad again and everyone knows being a new grad kind of sucks it's stressful it's anxiety it's like so it, it was definitely starting over like a new grad but I just went into it knowing it would be like that and kind of humbling myself going into it saying all right I'm gonna just yeah check my ego and know that I have a lot to learn and be open to it sort of rounding this out a little bit why did you want to get into emergency flight nursing honestly I didn't even really know it was a thing I don't know in nursing school I didn't even think about it didn't even know it was really an option and it's obviously not an option for a new grad so it's kind of irrelevant and then I knew our team had one because they brought us all our NICU babies but I never paid any attention to them because I never had any intention of leaving the NICU I was going to be a NICU lifer forever and then obviously if you've listened to my burnout episode I kind of go into that so you can kind of backtrack onto that it was a really good episode but I just needed to push myself I needed to learn something new I felt pretty comfortable in my NICU abilities of being able to care for whatever type of patient came through the door be it cardiac cooling micropremie sick yeah. stable whatever cool bring it I I needed to challenge myself with something new I I'm not done learning and boy have I learned a lot. So I think that and I think I needed just for me personally, I needed a change of environment, change of scenery for a lot that was just going on in my personal life. But the idea of getting to just push myself and learn and then the fact that it's this advanced scope was really cool. Like I can do procedures that I couldn't do inside a hospital. That's kind of like enticing. And then I think I work very well with a lot of autonomy. So that. It all kind of just... Ain't nobody going to rein you in, baby. Nope. <laughs> can't hold me down. And I think just the timing was right. My friend had just left Peds ICU to do it. And she was telling me about it. And now she was talking about it. It was kind of just in the back of my brain. Like something was poking me saying, "You, this is for you. 
And I'm so glad I went for it. Yeah. This is sort of an off-the-cuff question. I am curious about it. For someone who wants to try it out, quote, part-time or per diem, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, it's fine, but no one's ever going to hire you. I I guess I will never say never. I think it'd be very hard to find someone that's going to train you to just be per diem or train you to just be part-time. If you have experience, then yeah, Um that's probably a lot easier to get a part-time or per diem So gig. Sam and I have talked a lot about this, and I feel like this – I personally, after having learned it from you, I think working in that field full-time for how long before you could even consider something? Because what I'm getting at is the experience in that field is invaluable, and working full-time, maybe part-time for a while is, is definitely a huge – aspect to that role it's something you have to do consistently to get comfortable in it so right. you can't show up and do it four times a month as a per diem that's what I'm getting and at. be comfortable taking on the sickest like oh, hey there's an ECMO patient in another hospital that needs to or a patient that needs to come here to be put on ECMO right so they are sick sick and you're like oh I haven't worked in a month because I'm per diem and I forget my pumps and this and that no 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 yeah you need to be comfortable in this role so even when I was training I was only training as part-time and I thought that was pretty hard because I was only doing it twice a week and I'm like I need to be doing this on a consistent basis to really get comfortable with it so I I wouldn't even consider I mean I would think you'd pretty much be impossible to find a job as part-time or per diem and I think you would have to be doing it consistently before you'd even want to kind of go that role. Any last things that um, you would have asked yourself in my position if you had turned the mic around on yourself? Yes, the uniform is really cute. <laughs> and that is a perk. And I love the, the flight, flight suit. The flight suit is everything. I know. I'm like kind of like, okay. And boots. Off. You wear yeah, boots. Yeah, I wear steel toe boots. Fun fact. That's a regulation thing because of the ambulance and the helicopter. It's like a work safety thing. So. How heavy is the helmet? Um, it's actually not that heavy. Okay. And the steel toe boots are actually more comfortable than any pair of like nursing shoes I've ever worn in my Yeah, you know, it's funny. My brother wears steel toes shoes and they all, everyone swears by them. Yeah. Who wears them? I have Timbalands. I really do. Oh, they are? Tim's. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, nice. Love that. Fabulous. Um, well, thank you, Sam, for doing this one today. I know we hope that we answered all your questions. You guys, we went through... I think we got through almost all of them. But if you guys have more questions for her, drop into her DMs. Where can everybody find you, Miss Samantha? At Hey Samantha with two A's. Yeah, this was such a good one. Um, We thought it'd be fun to do an update here. We're probably doing, we might do a NICU one too. We'll see. I think we're going to do a NICU. It's time for Tori to give us a a refresh on the life of a NICU nurse. Now you got life of a flight nurse, going to do life of a NICU nurse. I love it. Yeah, this was awesome. And we hope you got to all your questions. And again, Reach out to her. Where can they find us? Yeah, you guys. So make sure you were following us on our Insta. That's at C-E-L-L-F-I-E underscore podcast. Check out the link in our bio. It's fun of it's full of all of our goodies, our merch, all of our amazing partners that we'd love for you to support as well. Our Bali trip. Our Bali trip. Come to Bali with us. We want to have a drink in our hand with you guys sitting with our ass in the sand, toes in the water. We want to be doing all the things with you. Tori wants to snorkel with you. I do. I want to snorkel. No, we're getting Sam in the water. We're going snorkeling. I don't like fish. Let's go, girl. I'm going to watch you guys. I'm going to support you guys snorkeling with a drink in my hand and be like, you're doing great, sweetie. (laughs) 
but I will not be. If snorkeling. you can get your ass in a helicopter, I'm getting your ass in the water. I am afraid of fish. I will fly in a helicopter with zero visibility, unable to see out the window in the worst conditions before I will snorkel. All right, you guys. And make sure you rate and review. Download, subscribe. Your reviews are everything to us. So if you can leave us a review, leave your Instagram handle in your review, we will send mm-hmm. you a swag bag. Yeah, full of goodies, some stickers, some pins, all the fun things that you can throw on your hydro flask. You know what I mean? Make sure you're following us on our Instas. That's at Nurse Tori. And at Hey Samantha with two A's. And we will see you next week. Bye. Bye.